is destroyed nonchalance. Taking culture apart one episode at a time. A social commentary podcast on pop culture, fashion, film, and music. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This week's is a two-parter that we recorded up on a rooftop and we continue to discuss fashion and mental health. Because uh, shopping... I mean, we touched on this before, but it does, it kind of feeds your ego. And I think ego is an important thing to talk about. Because when I uh, watch YouTube videos on mental health and self-awareness, you know, the ego in some cases is a negative thing because you're trying to feed it constantly like it's never ending. It's like a monster that's always hungry. Right. You know, and I go out and I buy things and it does this look, oh no, it doesn't look right. And, you know, you can see people out here, we're all out there, like trying to, especially just walking up Oxford Street a minute ago. Oh my God, it's, it's so, it's like they ego hoard. parade. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it's a parade. They like hoard to find something to make them feel better for whatever reason. And it's just, my favorite parade. <laughs> Troy hates it, but I love it. You don't like shopping? I don't like shopping. Yeah. And okay. I don't like shoppers. But Shop, yeah. Okay. Um, I love shopping spaces. If I, if it's not too crowded, Oxford Street is just insane. It is. And, I mean, it's just too many people. Uh, Bond Street's not bad, because it's less people. And, I mean, the shops are nice, so it's like you can breathe a little more. Uh, and people are rude. Oxford Street people are just rude. And then, also, it's kind of chaotic, so a lot of people aren't trying to be rude. It's just messy sometimes. I would say it's more messy than rude. Yeah, it's yeah. just a volume, isn't it? The volume yeah. of people. But the shopping, uh, you can see it. the industry is... It lives off that... of people's egos that yeah. they need to feed. Yeah, and I didn't mean I love shopping. I meant I love the parade. I like the people. I like seeing the people. You like them. I like walking through the crowds. I don't not. I don't go inside the shops. <laughs> we barely go inside oh, shops. Okay. I like walking down Oxford Street and looking at the people as we're going, and just like observing, seeing what people are wearing. Um, just, I mean, we go on walks, and Troy hates it, but I, I like Oxford Street. And you have the buskers out there singing, drummers. And then, yeah, down, I mean, it's not the only street we walk down, but I like... It's the main one, and we do it pretty often. But what we'll do is we'll start here, mm-hmm. and we'll walk down Oxford Street, past Selfridges, make a loop through Hyde Park. <laughs> That's new for us, because then it would just be like, at the end of Selfridges, walk back. So no break from the crowds or anything. But that little break in Hyde Park, walk on the grass, and just enjoy that for a bit, then head back. It's, it's fine. It's fine. And it didn't bother me early on. It's just the longer I was right here on the street, the more it bothers me. But... I think it was connected to like anxiety too, <laughs> like the anxiety that I was feeling with the course and everything that I feel like I need to get done and then I'm like thinking about that and there's so many people around that um, it's like okay. Um, and now it's like I have a better relationship with anxiety than I used to and approaching things 
not to totally hijack the conversation, but just taking it when you were beginning. Oh, fashion and mental health, and it's just kind of like tied together. But um, yeah, the the experimental approach and the curiosity, the perspective, just really helped. Um, and it's something I learned through CBT, and. Um, yeah, so that kind of helps, and uh, just being honest, like, I don't have to love it, it's fine, I don't have to expect things to be comfortable, I don't expect that to be comfortable, but if I can just get through it, and take it for where it is, then it's something that I don't have to, like, run from. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense, and just like, like, meeting new people for me, and, and like I was saying last time, is how doing the MA, it really made me kind of take care of myself and look at how I think and how my emotions are and I'm still on that same journey right and yeah meeting people and people that question me or if I feel uncomfortable it it's fine and it's like I've learned that everything is an experience and I can just look at it as in as if it's happening to me or it's happening and I can observe it rather than make it affect me right I can use it in order to push me forward or to learn more Right. Now, is that idea of observing something that you heard from somewhere else, or is that something that just kind of developed within you? Um, Because I've heard that idea uh, being talked about from like a lot of authors, writers, thinkers, like develop the observer capacity. So how did you come across that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've been looking at spirituality, uh, looking at YouTube videos, self-help books, and things like that. There's Eckhart Tolle, there's... Brene, oh, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. yeah, he's big on the observer. Renee Brown. She's really good because she's always talking about shame and vulnerability and always showing up. Right. And just being there is is like... It's like the main thing is to just be there regardless of what might or might not happen. Right. Um, Deepak Shakura. Yeah. Abraham Hicks, you know, I went to that Kabbalah, like, introduction oh, you went to the Kabbalah talk. That's right. Things like that help me. Yeah, yeah. You know. And I used to be a lot better about that, um, like, looking into those. Oh, and yeah. my grandmother was really into, like, self-help. And oh, really? Kind of but then, so after a while, you feel like you kind of know it, or you kind of move on, you lose track of it, and then you realize, oh, wait, I, I should get back into it because things are feeling out of control. Yeah, well, you see, because to me, I was I was doing a lot of, like, counselling before, actually, before, a few okay. years ago. And to me, that's how it got where I was... I've done plenty of counselling now and telling this same old thing. Right. But with spirituality, it makes me think, well, what's new? Like, your past is your past. What else are you going to reach right. for? That's what I'm finding helps me more and meditation as well i meditate every day really without fail it's become a do you have a particular practice or um have you i just quiet my mind yeah yeah as soon as i wake up before i look at my phone i try not to look at my phone anyway and do my best and then i just block everything out for like 15 20 minutes yeah and just kind of connect with myself. It's hard to explain, but kind of just literally I have to quiet my mind. Try and stop the chatter of you've got to do this, or you've got to answer your phone, or you've got to call such and such, you, you owe this, <laughs> you've got right. to finish this piece of work, or don't forget to, to do that post later. You know, I try and 
deep I have to because I realize it's something I have to do and that's the thing you do right when you wake up so yeah. that chatter was there before well yeah like as soon as you woke up well I'm trying and it is getting better where I head that off yeah okay. where I in the morning I don't have that chatter but sometimes I do if I carry it off on the night before uh, okay. okay yeah because I mean it's natural we're, we're human and you're supposed to have it's normal because you I've got a brain, but what I'm learning is I can control my emotions to a yeah. certain extent. Yeah. I don't have to like be taken on a roller coaster ride with it. I can be like, yeah, okay, I can see the roller coaster, but I know I'm going to be able to get through it. Right. There's a my therapist. She gave me this model of psychological flexibility, and um, and it's three points. It's a triangle. So up at the top is like the present moment. And then the bottom right hand corner is like the emotional content. And then the bottom left is um, value, what you value. And um, it's like, okay, yeah, the emotions might be going haywire over there, or they may not. But then you still have the present moment and you still have, are you doing what, what you value? And so, um, it's, so. Yeah, I know it's important to do this, so I value it. But I might be uncomfortable, but that's just one side of the pyramid. Two against three, I mean, two against one. So it's like, I'm here in the present moment doing what matters. And the emotions have their place. <laughs> like, they don't take over. Yeah, because emotions come and go like thoughts. Don't always believe what you're thinking. Yeah, emotions aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. Exactly, they co it comes and goes. And I used to think that, oh, if I'm feeling this, there's a good reason for it. And, like, whoever's around me better justify what they're doing because I'm feeling this way and I need to pay attention and stand up for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, it's not such a good thing to do. Yeah, because you're I always like, to let that go. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway... Have you, have you seen anything about psychological flexibility and those kind of points? No, I mean, no, I haven't heard oh, okay. of it, but I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah, because it also relates to the development of the human brain. Because when we're first starting out, all we knew was the present moment, like any animal. And then you develop, like, the emotional side, but then you develop the rational side, the value side. So uh, that's why emotions can undercut rationality so often because they came first and so and that's when, if you can learn to like keep the emotions like in perspective then you can at least bring out some rationality like like pay attention to values but yeah I thought it was really interesting but and that mental pyramid in my head sometimes feels like breathing to me <laughs> like it really feels like breathing like just space just like to exist like okay it's like because before it was it that just having that triangle in my head like brought some sense of order <laughs> that makes so sense so it's giving you like absolutely it's giving you like a foundation yeah it's like in a, order to think like where does all exactly. of this mess fit into your pyramid and I, I totally relate like and just being really strict with myself and even though I feel like I don't want to meditate today or I've had a bad day or it's not working but I'll still do it and for me that helps to sort it out just the action of it I'm not particularly the kind of letting go but that is really important that's key but just that deciding to get up making sure I don't look at my phone the minute I wake up just giving myself that break that time yeah 
just that is helping me. Yeah, see, I don't look at my phone when I wake up either. Um, and sometimes I'll be at breakfast before I realize I've even checked my email. <laughs> That's after I've gotten dressed, gone to the cafe, or like start having coffee oh, right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, I can't do it. I look at my phone the first thing. The minute you wake up, yeah. I like seeing the notifications and the things that have come in. Oh, I can't. Especially do that. if it's like booking. Your phone stays on your pillow. Like, yeah. <laughs> So I have my phone right there. I mean, I in. I just see the front screen. I don't go and like do a task, like read this news article or anything like that. But I guess I'm not at that point where I need to completely separate myself. Maybe yeah. I'll get there, but. Or maybe not. No, yeah, I mean, maybe not. Maybe not. I, I look at my phone in the morning when I wake up, but I mean, most of the time I'll, I'll wake up and not wake up, and I'll just because he's getting ready, and I know I have at least so much time before I need a to, hours. <laughs> you know, start getting ready myself. So I, I'll look at my phone. It's right there. And I mean, I, I mean, I don't, and I'm not saying it works and everything's fine. I mean, when that when that person said I was calm, I thought, okay, maybe there is something there. But I mean, but the other week, to, you need to do what works for you. Exactly. I mean, I have had terrible times where I have anxiety attacks, and I'm like, and this was only last week, and I'm thinking, oh my god, what am I doing? But as long as it's not harming anybody. Do yeah. whatever you need to do. Yeah, yeah. That makes you okay with whatever. And, and that's it. Talk about because it makes you it makes it sound like oh, it's a solution. <laughs> like oh, it's just like but yeah, no, it's not. A, it's a, no, it's a process. Yeah, it's a practice. I like thinking of it as just practice. It is like, a practice. practice. And no, that's I, why I so many people ritual. don't do it because people want a result. They're so result focused. Like, I mean the. <laughs> going into these talks where there's a motivational speaker that to me seems gross and it just seems like a racket because it and I don't know if it was shows that I watched but it's, it's you're taking people's money and telling them that you have a solution and if they just buy your book and apply the solution their problems are going to be fixed and people need to realize that nothing is ever fixed nothing is ever done you you can make things better every day, but it's people are so solution focused in certain ways yeah. that and then people take advantage of that. And I think that uh, the self-help books yeah. there's a, there's an ugly side of it. There's a good side of it. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're you're so right. There is like a, a bad side of it. And the, but the people I uh, listen to, or have read or follow, they—that mm-hmm. is one of the mantras—is like, there's no end because you're a living, changing yeah. human being. Yeah. Your cells change every day, so your thoughts and the journey is it's just an ebb and flow. And there are people, just like you said, the majority of people in this side of the world that that believe in results and that's part of capitalism patriarchy you know it, it is it's just part of the construct that we're living in right there's but there's also a, a, another side to it that 
you don't want it to be solved because then you stop learning. And if as soon as you feel like everything's fixed, you might as well die because your your experiences aren't growing. You're not expanding, and you should. I think it's healthy to embrace challenge. Challenge from a certain angle looks like a problem, but challenge is also another angle. Not to sound too like um, naive about it. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to develop a skill or an opportunity to learn about something that you didn't know before, to get stronger in a new way. And if you're not encountering new problems, if you're not continuing to encounter problems, then you're probably doing the same thing every day. <laughs> like, and eventually something's going to come along and knock you off your course anyway. But it's better to be like openly engaging and looking and exploring and coming across problems that way than waiting for them to land on your head because like you're too afraid to take any chances. And that for me is not like so much about results, but it's more just about like expanding and growing and experience, exploring. Experience, yeah. yeah. Experience being a human being. So what are the notes that you have? What's, okay. What did you see? Okay. So we're looking at fashion and mental health. Um, it's the second week of it. And this time we're looking at it a little more deep, in a, in a deeper way. And looking at how um, media talks about fashion and mental health. Um, for example, I looked at some articles in um, industry press related to fashion and mental health because that's becoming an ongoing topic. It's not going away. Stress, anxiety, and depression contribute to 43.8% of all workplace illness. So that's mental health manifesting as stress, anxiety, and depression, those kind of problems make up almost half of all illness. The Business of Fashion has some really good articles about what new hires, interns, people just starting their careers are dealing with when they go into what we consider to be like the big fashion brands. Um, whether it's like the magazines or the designer labels, um, the high street, high street brands. So it's uh, this real feeling of a sink or swim um, mentality where these new hires are be being forced to or encouraged to see each other as competition. And it's giving um, this, uh, it's taking away the sense of trust and team building and it's minimizing that and it's focusing more on how, what you, how you can leverage what you have against the people who are around you. Talking about this sink or swim atmosphere amongst new hires and interns, um, fostering this, com this competition about who's going to be hired on if you're an intern, or who's going to get the promotion, and who's going to end up in a better spot. And um, it's contributing to this feeling of stress, anxiety, and depression, mental health. And um, it becomes easier in the short run to not talk about these things, but really damaging in the long run. Um, you add into that the workplace conditions where you have this hectic schedule um, and these um, 
long hours where you're being tasked with a lot of menial tasks, you're new to this workplace, and you're just, it can be really off-putting. That type of schedule alone, that type of workload alone, would be um, stress-inducing and cause anxiety and potentially depression. But when it becomes an incentive not to talk about it because you don't want to be seen as disadvantaged in that way, it just creates a downward spiral. But a question I wanted to ask is, how much of it is not understanding the, the workplace and the industry beforehand, before you get into it? That's one of the things I thought um, was like an elephant in the room in terms of these media, this, these media stories about the fashion and the, the stress and mental health. It's like, well, yeah, but are you talking about how attractive this industry is, how glamorous it is to go into it, and what kind of prestige you're supposed to have when you work in it, versus the reality of making that job work for you, versus the reality of the people at the top have been making money through this organization for a very long time. They've achieved what they consider to be success, and you're new to this. So what's your learning capacity and um, how do you understand what your own understanding is? How do you understand your limitations when you're entering into a new environment? You know, all of us have kind of, we, we were seduced, I guess, by the industry, by media and fashion and saw that glamorous side. Right. Uh, and when you go into it, even when you're at uni, they don't give you the tools because in actual fact, when you get into the industry or when you start to you know, look for a job, it's nothing to do with the glamour or what you've learned at uni because they don't, you know, I, I would try and give advice that actually what you there, you're, you're forming bonds. You're not really learning how it is in the industry because when you go in industry, it's, it's literally learning on the hop you've literally got to learn on the hop and you've got to be prepared for that and the way I would say to be prepared is to look after your mental health, your emotional well-being right. more than anything because that's what's going to keep you rather than you know remembering theory or remembering you know how you supported a designer that isn't not in practical terms that hasn't helped what's helped is how I decided right I'm going to write this or you know, I'm working in a collaborative team. So you take those skills into the transferable skills. And you know, those transferable skills could were hard to learn because it was like, you know, being able to present yourself just like that. You know, knowing yourself and what skills do you bring to the table in this group and it's not the the actual work that you do. It's it's what you learn about yourself. There are definite wrongs happening. I mean, we're talking about like Me Too. We're talking about um, not paying internships and you know exploiting the people, the the new, fresh talent that's coming into the workplace. But also, there's um, this phase of adaptation and self-discovery that might manifest itself as stress and depression and anxiety. But um, how do you learn the difference? And who's talking about the difference if the very fact that fashion and entertainment and media are so glamorized that nobody wants to talk about the reality of what it's like to work there unless it goes to this extreme where it's like a mental health crisis. There's a middle ground that I think that's 
more realistic that doesn't get talked about. And part of that is going to be trial by fire. There will be True. trial by fire somewhere. Absolutely. Because that's just life. And sometimes exactly. you don't deserve a participation ribbon. Because that kind of culture I don't like. But there's exploitation that can happen in that where you don't get paid or you, you're not prepared enough. Anytime you go into a new job, that's not what you did at school. So they, they, they teach you the, the overall things uh, and, and try to get you into this class about philosophy or you, you learn about theory or you try to apply things with group work. But when, when you're in, in a job, it's going to be trial by fire, so it's how prepared you are mentally for that because you some of it you're not you're just not gonna be able to learn in the school until you do it and you need the experience and then you'll know I'm this kind of person. I didn't know that I was this kind of person that learns by doing or by whatever it is. So there's a lot of stuff that I agree with everything that you're saying but there's also a lot of like I keep some of the sympathies away because I know that some people do a lot harder tougher jobs but there's the, so the, there's a lot to weigh because the, the mental the, there's a lot of hard work you can do and that can put a big strain on you mentally and there's really hard physical work that you can do that it's hard on your body but you're not exactly straining a lot of brain cells or I mean you know yeah I don't want to sound like just like throw away like I'm not sensitive to some of the some of these things but I I know and I've worked I've worked myself in the field picking fruit or whatever in the family that have done that or even you know picking nuts at a nut farm and all of that and this really hard work <laughs> at the end of the day you're just what passed out and you know that there's all the jobs that support this industry back in India or wherever where they have the factories that people are breaking their backs so I mean I, I know that we're, that's not our reality but whatever you meditate or whatever you do put everything into perspective and learning all of that might help you stabilize your mental health a little bit more so that when you go into those environments you put it all into perspective before you break maybe I, I do value what you were saying though and I, and I do take that sense that actually I do have to step back when I'm totally stressed because in actual fact the field that I'm in, where I am, it's a privilege mm -hmm. to be able to have gone to fashion school rather than like what my grandma did, which was work in the NHS. She was a nurse for years and had to give up through stress mm -hmm. because it was so tough for her. You know, she worked for years and people treated her terribly because she was black. So yeah, um, I, definitely. But then you, I put another pressure on myself. I think I should be enjoying this, you know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it makes sense you saying that. Like, you know, the physical work, it's more... We are being creative. We're, we're, we're being creative. I mean, yeah. it's a dream, really. 
And that's something I've been talking about a lot in therapy. I mean, like, no, this is like, I'm doing what I want to be doing. Exactly. I should be enjoying this. Yeah. Like, and she goes, who said you have to enjoy it? And I'd be like, well, no. Like, if you looked at it from the outside, it's like, I guess it's like here on the street and then going to this school. And it's like, but it doesn't feel like that. And she's like, well, have you ever, have you never been on vacation and got stuck in traffic? I've gotten annoyed that the cab didn't come when it was supposed to. It's like, you're on an island resort, and you're, you've been there for about five days, and now you're annoyed because the cab's not showing up. It's like, that's just reality. Like, that's your reality. It's like, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you do need to weigh your reality because I'm not a starving child in Africa. Exactly. So this is my reality, and my reality is valid for my situation. So I, I am not trying to be insensitive to creatives because it is hard work and mentally it can be exhausting and you need self-care but you also need to keep everything in perspective and that might help as much as fashion and, cre- and design draws on creativity, creativity, which is an internal resource, it's interesting how little attention is given to mental health and um, maintaining like perspective and something like psychological flexibility. And you know, you mentioned like starving children in Africa. Well, you know. Children in other countries that are getting paid like cents on the dollar to make the clothes that we're wearing. That's exactly. part of the reality too. And yeah, it's not it something so separate from us. And I think that's what I'm trying it's, to say. It's every, I mean, people are starving here. Yeah. You know, people are hungry on the streets. Mm-hmm. When I um, went to Stratfield, um, Stratford, Westfield Centre, mm-hmm. it's like uh, there was like 20 tents like set up wow. right next to Westwood, you know, the very posh, massive yeah. Westfield shopping mall. And then there's tents almost next to it, under the bridge, and you think... And it's like the two worlds right there. Exactly, right there for you to see. And it feels like there's a boundary, but that's just like one that we've manufactured. There's, there are some signs of hope here, because Generation Z, um, on the outside, it's kind of troubling because they're describing high levels of mental health issues but actually what that's showing is a high level of awareness of the importance of mental health in the first place by voicing these kinds of things uh, these kinds of issues articulating what problems there might be what even um, high-level editors are describing as the imposter syndrome, which is you have this position, but you, you're not really convinced yourself that you've earned it, that you really deserve it. And um, one of the articles that I read is really interesting. She doesn't feel like she's necessarily what she needs to present. She's not the face. She doesn't feel like the face that everyone needs to see. Uh, uh, it's interesting because I, I do relate to a certain extent. When I was at Central St. Martin's, I was thinking, you know, what am I doing here? A oh, lot. Really? I had, yeah, I had to really tell myself, it's okay, just go in, it's fine. You've got <laughs> I think that every way day. every day. I every think day. that every day, like, thinking, well, what, who am I to say I know, I'm like walking about into Central St. I'm like, Honestly. Okay. Yeah, because people like you and people from like 
all these great schools, universities, and then it's just like me and I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> how did I get here? Well, I definitely felt like an outsider a bit. I just kind of owned that going in. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't expect to be able to fit in. I think if I kind of got over that expectation a bit, I don't know. I guess the imposter thing didn't kick in because I knew I was like marketing and advertising and that's not what everybody wanted to talk about. So it was like, no, it was written right across my face. I'm an outsider, I'm fine. Um, yeah, you expect it to like materialize in something. Like, there's going to be a benefit that comes from this, and and there's no guarantee at the end. Fingers crossed. <laughs> it really like it's up to you. It's always going to be up to you. At the end, the college is going to give you your piece of paper, and then you hopefully prepared enough to take that into the next level. There's a very like real sense of stress, anxiety, and depression in the workplace. It almost makes up 50% of the mental illness that is going to be encountered in the workplace. It comes down to real things like um, the Me Too movement and harassment and exploiting interns. And some of it is workplace pressures that are just built into the job itself. And what has taken for this organization to be successful enough to hire you in the first place. And that's just something that it's a process of self-discovery that you're going to apply yourself in a new situation. It may work out for you and it may not. But um, if you're Generation Z, or if you've been paying attention to like mental health and it's become a concern for you, you're likely to say something about your mental experience, your mental health experience in these situations, which is actually beneficial. And that people up and down the career ladder are starting to articulate what it's like for them on a day-to-day -day basis. The difficulties, the triumphs, the challenges, uh, all, all across the board, talking about it and understanding it is going to help the organization, it's going to help your professional life, it's going to help your personal life. So that's, that's how the media is talking about it. Um, so, and I think that overall it's pretty good. But it does need to address the fact that it glamorizes the fashion industry. It glamorizes the entertainment industry to such an extent that a lot of people don't know what they're getting into before they even try to start a career in it. The industry is based on making people feel like that's what they have to feed consistently and constantly. Or throughout all the creative industries, but fashion in particular, because it's such a throwaway industry. You know, you buy something, and as soon as you've got it and wore it, you want to throw it away, or why did I buy that, or do I really need that? But think about it, do we really need some of the things that we've got? Right, it's not like you're going to throw away a painting or a sculpture, or like, it's just, I mean, yeah, you consume those, but fashion has such a throwaway. Like exactly, it's about sustainability and the cycle, and it's up and down. And yeah. the ego can cause psychological problems, because if you're... It's almost like having a voice on your head. One side telling you that you must buy this, you must fit into this trend, you must look like this person. You know, and all the time when you're buying these things, it's never actually fulfilling you. And it's just this constant cycle that you're on. The ego is trying to, like, almost persuade me to buy, oh, that I'm not quite where I need to be. Yeah. 
And and that's and that's better. But you but you know that it's part of the culture. It's part of the capital culture, and it affects us all in some way or another. You know, trying to keep up. It's like this constant trying to keep up with things. And then fashion also helps your performance in dressing your ego. That's what I was talking about. Fashioning yourself. Right. And that theory is from Judith Butler. That was based on a central concept that your gender is constructed through your own repetitive performance of gender. Now, I used her theory in my work to right. to base how you can use that in fashion. Right. So it's performativity in fashion and music, and, that one, and that's what I used for my one of my essays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's an important concept because it it speaks on constructivism and how um, we're all almost forced to take part in the performance of society and culture. So are those performances, are they always based on the ego? I think so, yeah, because it's a performance. Can we ever detach from that? Because I know we don't really shop that much anymore. I mean, we were shopping a lot when we first got here. But the busier we got, the easier it was not to shop. We just had other things we had to get done. So, all right. So, it, so for for you then, if if it isn't fashion, then like for me, it is clothing and what I wear. And I do think that has something to do with my gender. But okay, for you, I would say. Imagine I'm talking about your lifestyle then. Right. You know, going out, going to the theatre, doing all those types of things. If that was a form of fashioning yourselves, right. is that feeding your ego? Is it a performance thing? Well, I think part of the things that we do are to construct the story that goes on Instagram and that makes people jealous because they're not living that perfect life. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I want to go and see Nicole Kidman on a stage play, but I also want to tell people I went to see Nicole Kidman on a stage play. Or I want to post it or whatever it is. And, I mean, we've done things where we haven't, but it's because we forget or whatever. It's gone down a bit, but, I mean, I... Part of traveling, I like traveling, but I also like just sharing the pictures and like we're here now and we're going somewhere else and this, all of this and all that. I like the idea of exploring. So I have like interesting stories to tell and I don't, I'm sure like ego is wrapped up in that somehow, but it's like exploration or like putting clothes together in a way to create like a look as like an expression. I guess because what I've heard about the ego is that it pops up when you're less, when you're not looking. So if when you're not looking and you think everything is like, oh, everything is nice, then the ego is like right behind you. You have to stay aware of how it's like having an influence, but it's a really tricky thing to pick apart. I'm not sure like where it stops and where it ends. They interchange and make who make you who you are. Yeah. And and the reason I say like I was asking you, yeah, you okay, you don't because I know I 
buy fashion because I want to do it. It is part of me dressing my ego and then I think have I bought the right thing? Does it look good? Does it say the right thing? And I'm constantly questioning myself. But my ego, it drives me to buy this or get my hair done or makeup. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. constant. And then I put put it to you because it's all, I put it down to maybe your lifestyle is a form of fashioning yourselves. Right. Is it a need? Is it a drive? I mean, what would you say? Is it a drive to...? That's a really good question. Because, I mean, I guess the cultural experiences are a way of, like, fashioning yourself. Um, And it's not necessarily related to clothing, exactly. Because, you know, we'll see some of the same people every day, and they'll be wearing the same thing every day. And it's like, but we do the same thing. And it's like, I don't know, it might be just, like, this particular area, and, like, the people who aren't shoppers kind of, like, stand out. And you start to recognize some people, and they'll be wearing a t-shirt, a hoodie, uh, like a, a denim jacket, and they're wearing the same thing. I'm like, we just saw that guy, and he was wearing the same thing as yesterday. But if he looked at Rick's clothes, he'd be like, yeah, Rick is wearing the same thing. As, like, it looks the same as what Rick was wearing the day before as well. So it's almost like it's not clothing so much, but it is like the, like a stack of cultural experiences. Exactly, yeah. That's, yeah. So, I mean, some, some of the articles that I found there's a lot of brands, there's a lot of articles on brands making collections to raise awareness about mental health. Left and right, I, I just kept seeing brand A, brand Z is doing a collect, t-shirt collection, this collection, jewelry collection. So one of the questions that, that kept coming up is when, when will we be aware enough? Has, has it happened already? And once you're aware, what do you do? You'll take care of yourself more or? That's a good question. Is it enough to just be aware? No, I mean, because it's, it's a starting a, point. The brands, I mean. Well, it, first of all, who's getting stressed out from producing all this mental health awareness product? <laughs> yeah, so this this was Are like. Are people killing themselves to put this stuff out there and we're not hearing their stories? It is a stress, stressful thing. Like this is from WWD. That yeah, I got yeah. this article from, and they're talking about they—they're not saying what I'm saying. This is just what I got because they had a an article about all these brands doing collections. For example, there was a—it's an anti-stigma campaign from Lazy Oves, and that's a brand that um, they're—they donate a hundred percent of their collections profits so that's a good brand that's doing this that's a really good they idea. give it to charity and to they they give it to time to change it's a charity that works with schools in england um there's another brand called bandu that does jewelry so it reads anxiety or depression you wear it earrings all of that and 100 percent of their profits go to bring change to mind charity so far they've said that 48 dollar necklaces have raised 100,000 pounds for charity so i mean that's that's really good that's where i see that it translates into what's next it's because twofold. you're raising the awareness and you're giving it to help it change in schools where it can really make the change as from the bottom up, essentially. Yeah, that's positive. It's more than just awareness, though. If you're wearing something that says depression, it's like you're not afraid to articulate that about yourself. It's doing that, but it's also supporting 
the change that's gonna happen because you bought this shirt, 100% yeah. of the profits are gonna go towards something that's gonna help change it. So you're bringing it to the surface, but but that's that's one thing that we need to make sure that any company that's out there that's trying to make profit out of something like this, you need to make sure that you see how much is going to a charity that's going to help. I like you have uh, Marks and Spencer's doing an LGBTQ sandwich, and is anything going to help a charity? Um, and I and I read it was like seven percent or something, so not very much. So this is an example of some a, a bad company that's trying to profit off of um, not specifically Marks and Spencer's but Burger King. They started doing anti Happy Meals to raise awareness of mental health. So they call oh them they call them a, it's like a pissed Happy Meal. It's not a Happy Meal. It's like and they put it on the boxes. It's pissed. DGAF, don't give a fuck. Salty. <laughs> um, no proceeds help anything. Nothing. So you're trying to capitalize on this. Oh, well, what's the hot thing, right? Oh, mental health awareness is the hot thing. Oh, let's do it. Right? So they're, they're, they're doing this in, in America. Um, but, you know, it's an example of a company just grossly taking this very real thing and not really giving anything back. I think that's a key thing right there, is like yeah. not giving anything back. Buy our products, you know, we'll put the right sticker on it, we'll put the right name on it, but... Yeah, so I, I think with any brand, look at at least 80% of the profits of the products is going towards actually helping what the cause is. And that brings us into actionability, like things that you can actually do. And that's one thing, like watch, watching where your money goes. and what Pay attention to what you're shopping. If, if it is something that sounds great, see, read the small print. Yeah, because, because sometimes it has it there and sometimes it doesn't. But make sure that, oh, that's good that they're doing this. You know, just some of the brands you were talking about, like Burger King, I mean, it, it just makes you see then that it's almost, you know, real issues are just a trend, like a fashion trend. Yeah. So does that mean it's going to go completely out of cycle again and there's going to be a new thing that people will be involved in? You know? But you're, you're creating that cycle where it goes around um, and you have these issues, these, these people having these mental issues and then you make money because you're trying to raise awareness about the issues that you're not helping with so much or that you should have more responsibility with. Um, so, I mean, yeah, those are really the, the big things that I've found. Um, I have just a list of five things that experts are talking about, five actionable things to, that can help with stress and anxiety. The first thing is uh, better self-understanding what are your aptitudes and reflecting on is this the right place for me and do I want to stick it out? Number two, defining boundaries for yourself. Like what's going to cross the boundary like morally or just like what you're capable of doing, um, what's too uncomfortable for you. And three, defining what success means to you and what does success look like. Um, just approaching it like in terms of meaning and just something as superficial as appearance. What does it look like? Four, what are you willing to do to be successful? And what are you not willing to do? 
having a like at least some of an understanding in terms of what you're willing to do and not willing to do to get what other people are telling you is success. Five, um, how much of yourself can you put into your idea of success? Like, what are you good at and what do you just hate doing? And are these questions that you've asked yourself before going into industry? And, you know, are you willing to experiment to find out the answers? And if you find out something's not for you, then, you know, not doing so well in internship is not the end of the world. And deciding your first job is not for you, it's just not the end of the world. But you went out there and you at least tried, you experimented with it. And six, um, how will your very next step serve your personal goals? It's important to create um, safe spaces for experimentation. You're used to having that university. Try to find it in the workplace or in your professional life. Remember, experimentation is learning. Don't catastrophize. Be realistic about what the effects are that you're doing. Don't over-exaggerate how bad things could be. Respect the mind-body connection. Uh, so exercise, nutrition, breathing, you know, how you treat your body is going to affect your, your feelings and your thoughts. Um, keeping a schedule to get sleep. Just remember all of these things that are affecting the body are going to affect your mental health. Understand that stress is a method of preparation. Stress isn't necessarily bad, it's what you do with it. It's the, it's the toll that you allow it to take. So learn to channel it constructively. And get help from experts. Um, access to professionals, especially when you're going through the worst of the worst. So these are just five things that can help you manage stress and anxiety. Um, and just watch over your mental health as you're entering the workplace or if you've been in the workplace for 50 years. I mean, these are just good tips to, to know and keep in mind. Yeah, I'm definitely taking pictures. Thank you guys for this great conversation and thanks to our audience for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We put it out weekly. And follow us on social media. We're on every platform. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere.